RPL, a personalized learning monthly podcast where we are sharing advice to make tech relevant. I'm Kelly Regan, one of your hosts for Above the Line, and I'm joined by... I'm Chris Turnbull, a personalized learning specialist. Along with... I'm Matthew Silva, also a personalized learning specialist. In this episode, we tackle coding resources that are available for the upcoming global initiative called Hour of Code. We'll share some tricks for embedding content in Schoology, and some updates to the Seesaw app that make it easier to use and more student-friendly. We'll also dig into a little-known app on your iPad that can save you time. Finally, we'll get to hear from a principal in SPPS talking about shared leadership, the evolution of teaching and learning in his building, and his journey to leading an Apple-distinguished school. So first of all, Hour of Code is December 9th through 15th, so that's coming up. Some of the resources I'm going to share with you are that the Everyone Can Code resources have just been updated. They are live as of November 20th. The new books are Everyone Can Code Puzzles. They are focused on grades 3 through 12 using the Swift Playground app. In there, you're going to find a teacher guide as well. In that teacher guide, it has a pacing guide for the puzzles. It will have a solution guide to each puzzle. Also, Apple has created Swift Playgrounds with accessibility in mind. So they have support for teaching the code using tactile puzzles to teach the code in Braille, voiceover for visually impaired students, and videos done in American Sign Language for deaf and hard of hearing students. Each chapter of the puzzles book contain four sections. The learn section. In this section, you're going to learn what the concept is, explore how it relates to things you do all the time, and complete an activity that deepens your understanding of the coding concept and its relation to everyday life. In the try section, you'll practice your problem solving and critical thinking skills through coding with a few selected puzzles and activities from Swift Playgrounds. For each of these, you'll be guided through four stages. Identify the goal, experiment a bit, learn syntax, and test and improve it. In the apply section, you'll create something of your own through code. There are no right or wrong answers here. Just see how far your coding skills can take you. In the connect section, connect activities are opportunities for you to get creative and think about the role of code in your life today and in the future. You can record your thoughts and ideas in an inspiration journal. As you do, you can use the provided prompts to help you reflect on your experience, or you can feel free to make it your own. To help maximize the creativity the Connect section and some other activities refer to specific lessons in the Everyone Can Create books. These lessons provide ideas and can help you guide you as you take your creation to the next level. Also, you'll find in the book, there are Swift Coding Club resources. You will find these resources for Swift Coding Club activities that you can use at your school. You can find all the new resources at apple.com backslash education backslash teaching dash code. Also, I saw on the website that coming soon is an Everyone Can Code Adventures book. This is designed for students who have completed all of the puzzles. Adventures opens up a world of opportunities to build with Swift code. With open-ended activities, students can experiment with hardware features and event-driven programming to express their creative ideas. Can't wait to see what's coming there. Hey, Chris, what's new with code.org? Yeah, well, first, those resources from Apple sound really amazing to me. I can't wait to go home and download some of those new puzzle books and take a look at them. 
As you mentioned, there are also some new puzzles available on the code.org Hour of Code tutorial section of their website. These puzzles are available in over 45 languages, they're used in over 180 countries, and this is the seventh year of Hour of Code. Um, all of these Hour of Code puzzles on the code.org website are really designed to give anyone an intro to computer science and to allow them to try out the basics of programming and problem solving. So they're really fun for kids. They're self-correcting, they have hints and tutorials and really guide the students along. You can find all of those Hour of Code resources at code.org backslash learn. That is awesome. There's so many great coding resources out there for students and teachers to explore. Hey Chris, I also heard that there's some new enhancements in Seesaw. Can you share some of those? Yeah, so there's a couple new features in Seesaw to make it easier for students and teachers. One is the drafts button. So this really allows students to say they're working on something and they get interrupted. Maybe it's time to go to recess or it's time to go to lunch or they just need to take a break and think about what they're working on and do a little reflection. So they can actually go up to the top right corner and tap on the drafts button and this will save their work so far in draft form in Seesaw. So you'll see it show up in the learning journal feed with a yellow bar across the top and that means that it's a draft and it's only visible to the student and the teacher. Then the student can come back in, they can tap on that entry or post in Seesaw again and go right back in and pick up from where they left off in their work. So that's really a great feature again to allow students to kind of stop in the middle of their work, do a little reflection, or come back again when they've when they have more time to work on it. Another new feature in Seesaw is the resize button. You'll see this up at the top left corner of the screen and it kind of looks like a full screen button. Sometimes with the activities, um, some of the activities in the new creative tools buttons might overlap. So by tapping on that resize button it actually makes the screen a little bit smaller, that drawing or writing area a little smaller so that it moves the buttons for the creative tools off the screen and out of the way so that students can see things better. That's some great content for our early learners. What about maybe something in middle school around History Day, Chris? Yeah, so for middle school and high school, there is a new website creation tool for National History Day. If you haven't heard about this yet, it's called Web Central, and it's a website creation tool Last year, I think most of our students used the Weebly app to create their websites, and Weebly was bought out by Square last year. So National History Day created their own website creation tool called Web Central. A good thing to know about this website creation tool is that it's not exactly iPad-friendly at this point in time. So as you're adding text, you'll need to be a little bit diligent about clicking in the text box and tapping on the pencil icon to be able to type in there. Rebecca Beal, our social studies supervisor, has met with the Minnesota History Center and it's been decided that for the first round of competition, students can really use any website tool that they want to to create their website. So if you want to use Google Sites on your iPad, that's fine. If students move on to the regionals or to the state competition, they will need to have their website recreated in the Web Central creation tool though. So that's good to know as far as whether or not you want to start with Web Central and just try out all the tools or if you want to start somewhere else first.
Awesome. Those sound like great new tools for teachers and students to check out. So our next section is tips and tricks. Matthew, what could you share with us that's new in Schoology or maybe a new resource that teachers haven't previously utilized? Yeah, in keeping with the theme of coding for this month, uh, this is kind of a coding connection. So for all you teachers who enjoy bringing in uh, outside third-party website resources like YouTube or Vimeo, Quizlet, uh, Padlet, anything that gives you one of those crazy long embed codes, it's really easy to bring that into Schoology and have it displayed right within a Schoology window. So if you know how to grab those embed codes, you go ahead and copy that to your clipboard. And when you're building anywhere in Schoology that has a rich text editor, so with a really big toolbar at the top, we're going to go through the process of inserting content, inserting image or media, then you'll toggle to the tab from the web, and then you'll toggle to media, and in that bar you can paste your embed code. And at first it's going to look way too small to paste, but you can go right ahead, it'll take it. So once you save your page, uh, you'll be able to see that embedded content. That is a great tip for teachers to be able to embed content so students don't leave Schoology to go elsewhere to preview a video and things like that. I really like how it allows you to really enrich or enhance your items in Schoology too, to put a, a video or anything into, say, a discussion so that students have a point of context before responding. Absolutely. In a similar way in Seesaw, teachers can use the shortcut item codes to create directions in their activities that allow um, emergent or pre-readers to, to know what they're supposed to do in that activity. If they can't read the directions, it can be hard for them to do the task. But through the shortcut icons, it really allows students to see that creative tool and know what they should be doing in the activity. So for example, if you want to tell a student to use the drawing tool to do something in Seesaw. In your directions, while you're creating or editing an activity, you would type colon, drawing, colon. And in the directions, then, when you save that, it will create that cute little drawing pencil image for the students so that they see that that's the tool they're supposed to use in this task. That is a great tool. So one thing I've discovered is that you can find all of those icon codes by going to help.seesaw.me and you can search in the search box, Seesaw Icon Codes, and then you could print that out or, or save that file so you can have that to be able to have quick access to those. I also find it by just Googling Seesaw Codes. Brings me right to the page every time. Awesome. Uh, the final little tip and trick that we have for you this month is an app, and this app is something that not many people know about, but it's already installed on everybody's iPad. Uh, you may have seen it, you may have not. It is called Shortcuts. And Shortcuts is a really powerful app that actually kind of embeds some of the internal coding of an iPad right within it. And so you kind of have to put it together like a puzzle, but it allows you to create a bunch of different shortcuts on your device in order to, let's say, create a QR code from a, a Safari website automatically. Or if you're in a classroom and you want to select a random name of one of your students, uh, you can run a shortcut for that and your iPad will automatically choose one of the students in your classroom. And there are hundreds more out there as well. Um, and you can also design your own. So it's a really powerful app that maybe you can uh, utilize in your classroom. 
There are so many coding connections in this episode. Really excited about the hour of code and really the month of code and what students can do all month long as they're thinking about um, using coding in the classroom and how teachers can really engage in that. Our next section is about professional development. So one of the things that we'd like to share with you is how you can continue to dig into the Apple Teacher resources. So if you go to appleteacher.apple.com, that's again appleteacher.apple.com, and sign in with your Apple ID and your, and your password, there's a lot of resources in there. You can also earn badges for iPad or badges for Mac. And when you complete all eight of those badges, I know we've mentioned this before, not only can you earn CEUs, um, but you also can earn this great sticker that you can put on your MacBook or in your classroom window. Um, anything else to add about that before we talk about what's in the Apple Teacher Learning Center? And correct me if I'm wrong, but once I complete one of the pathways for either iPad or Mac, doesn't that open another window of opportunity for me to maybe do some badges in... Coding! What? That's so exciting. So you're going to have more opportunities for learning about coding once you complete those eight badges. So you're going to learn a lot. And again, that's always free resources for you available anytime, anywhere, as long as you have access to the internet. So the Apple Teacher badges are great to do as a grade level team, maybe at a PLC meeting if that fits, um, maybe as a content area, or during a staff meeting before or after school. There's a lot of great opportunities to collaborate and learn together. And they're all in short bite-sized chunks. Absolutely. It's a great place to learn. There's also great teacher resources and lesson ideas. Our next section is our monthly SPPS Spotlight with Horace Mann Principal, Jim Litwin. Here we are at Horace Mann School. Um, we are here to do a section with Principal Jim Litwin. And Jim, if you could take a minute just to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about your school. Well, thanks, Kelly. Um, Horseman School has been around for 89 years. This is the start of our 90th year in St. Paul. We're currently a kindergarten through fifth grade school. We have over 400 students. Um, it's a school with a long history of family and community involvement. I've got a fantastic staff, and there's been a long history of student success. Awesome. 89 years. That's incredible. Wow. Um, Jim, can you share a little bit with us about... How has leadership impacted learning at Horace Mann? Sure. Um, I'm a big believer in trying to grow um, leadership in lots of different ways at the school. When I first came here 12 years ago, we had site councils that operated and helped to advise and guide the principal, and that was a group of parents and staff members. Over time, those were eliminated, and for a while I kept my own council together. Um, after a while, it, it shifted more to internal. So now I have an internal leadership team made up of teachers representing a variety of different staff members. But leadership doesn't stop there. Um, we also want to include the students as well. So two years ago, we started um, a student advisory board as a part of our equity work. And so we're also looking to get student voices in leadership, too. 
Um, we build leadership with our fifth graders, and it's a part of our, our leadership process. So they do everything from running our school store to running um, our recycling program. The staff members that are a part of the leadership team provide support and help with professional development. Um, they help with um, our students and trying to resolve issues and challenges that we have for kids. And then looking at official structures, things like our math lead, our gifted and talented lead, our literacy lead, and so forth. All those pieces work together to, to plan our continuous improvement plan. That sounds great. Sounds like a very connected group with a lot of different players as far as leadership. Um, sounds like a great place to work. I love that you have students giving input and feedback too at your school. Yeah, they were fantastic. Last year they took on planning our uh, National African American Parent Involvement Day events and um, took the leadership for that and we had a fantastic turnout and a great day. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about how teaching and learning look different at Horseman now uh, as compared to before our one-to-one -one in St. Paul? Sure. When I, when I first came here 12 years ago, um, we had 100 fewer students than we have now. So overall, in terms of population, we've changed a great deal in the last decade. Um, we were also at a point in our journey where funding was becoming increasingly tight and we were having to eliminate a lot of pieces that were considered extras within the building. So a music program, um, gifted and talented program, and so forth. Um, with all of that happening and, and knowing that over half of the kids in the school qualify to attend Capitol Hill, we knew we needed to look for ways to differentiate and support students wherever they were at. So we began a, a process of professional development looking at gifted education and um, basically trying to figure out ways to help the students that have the, the gifted and talented needs, but knowing that those strategies work well for everybody. So we've been working very hard the last decade on that. Um, we also were very fortunate to be picked at the beginning of the facilities improvement process for St. Paul, and we had a $17 million expansion and re renovation to turn our school into a 21st century learning environment. So we had all these staff pieces in place with professional development and folks that were really interested and passionate in supporting students. We have this fantastic space that we were developing. And then we were given the opportunity to have an Apple coach two years ago. So it's kind of the, that old definition of luck where preparation meets opportunity. We were primed for takeoff, and with that additional piece and the one-to-one -one iPad piece in the last year, we've really been able to take off, and the integration of technology is another way of supporting and differentiating learning for students. It has been so great to work here at Horseman, being able to coach the teachers with technology integration to see how they're using the physical environment and also how they're rethinking learning in their classroom. It's just been a great experience. Experience and I'm an outsider looking in. So uh, thanks for inviting us in here, and it's just been really a joy to work here. If another administrator is looking for ideas for how to move your staff on an initiative, what advice might you have for them, and how do you sustain that? That's a great question. Um, I think the first thing is that it's about putting the right people in the right place at the right time with the right resources. Um, when you have the ability for staff members to express their voice and provide their leadership, the investment and the engagement is just is tremendous. Um, when you have the right resources for people, then they're willing to put in the time and the work to make it um, beneficial for the students. 
So over this last five years or so, we've been on a very slow trajectory. And I'd, I'd liken it to uh, NASA preparing for the, the moon landing, right? So we, we were getting things ready. We were testing different things out, but we weren't really going anywhere. And then last year, it was like the rocket took off, and it all came together. Um, we had everything from um, staff members doing coding and work with bots to staff members exploring makey-makey and creating keyboards out of gummy bears to people um, doing simple things like creating tem frames and geoboards and story problems in Keynote and using markup tools for early math instruction. Um, and it just it goes from there. There's so many different ways that the staff members have been able to, to take the technology, and we see it um, being very effective with our students, uh, both in engagement and in performance academically. I love that all of your teachers are just jumping in at different places where it fits with their curriculum and using, using the iPads and technology just to engage and leverage kids' excitement. Yeah, one of the key pieces for sustainability is, is how the coach and the teachers work together. When the teachers see that the coaching provides them with a way to plan instruction and incorporate technology and it's not something additional, then they fully embrace it and they use it as the true resource that it is. And that's why my staff members have just jumped all over it. And really, it's about the learning, and it's about the teaching, and the technology just provides that support, enabling that to happen. Right. That's the technology great. is just another tool. Awesome. Jim, why would you encourage your teachers to listen to a podcast? <laughs> um, I think podcasts are a easy way to be able to gain some professional development. They're a way that you can um, develop another perspective or hear another voice. And just as a, a simple thing, there are a way that you can do it quickly and easily, whether you're riding in the car or working out um, or just uh, have a few minutes between things in, in the classroom. Thanks so much, Jim, for being our first ever Principal Spotlight guest in our podcast. It's been a pleasure to be here, and thanks again. Links to things we mentioned are available in our episode notes page at spps.org backslash above the line. You can listen to the podcast there too, or listen and subscribe at anchor.fm backslash above the line. Thank you for joining us for this episode of our PL podcast. Our objective is to share advice to make technology relevant. We hope that you found something helpful to support the work that you do in SPPS. You'll be hearing from us before winter break for episode four of the PL podcast, Above the Line. line.